Okay, let me start um, by complementing some special information about uh, my background. So I, I've been through many different um, knowledge areas and also different communities, countries, and it's hard to define um, well, a specific standpoint where I am uh, talking from, but I would say uh, in Brazil, I am a white cis man um, coming from a working class uh, uh, family. And uh, I've been trying to use the privileges I have to design against oppression <laughs> lately. But I also designed it for a couple of uh, values that I believe that are important, that I strive for, that I dedicate my life to. And I'm going to uh, reflect on those different movements of my life, where I was designing for something and more lately uh, that I, I'm designing against things. So this will be a, a quick talk and I hope that you can join and discuss later on with me and with Sharon. Uh, the starting point is this concept of hegemony. So what it is, we could have spend a lot of time to discussing this. I'm just gonna briefly uh, touch how I understand hegemony. In Marxist theory, there is this uh, dialectics between the superstructure, the ideological, institutional, um, organizational aspect of society that somehow uh, give the directions and also exploits and use uh, the rich, the wealth which is produced by the infrastructure, the working class, the the factories, um, the materiality of society. And hegemony uh, in this dialectics is more precisely discussed by uh, Gramsci and other authors like uh, Jesus Martin Babero in uh, Latin America. They discuss how hegemony is this process of superstructure trying to dominate infrastructure and infrastructure also trying to dominate superstructure. This movement of uh, trying to take hold of the reality is what is called hegemony. If you didn't get what I mean by this brief abstract summary, I will give you a very concrete example how I learned what hegemony is by playing Civilization 3. <laughs> and in this game, my new um, element from relation to version 2 is that you could dominate other uh, civilizations without entering into war. If you build a very advanced society with a lot of technologies and uh, arts and culture, all the nearby uh, cities that had their own cultures, they would somehow at some point forfeit their own culture, they would overthrow their government, and they would ask if they, you want them to join your civilization. That's precisely what's happening in this screen. So the military advisor is telling us that the loyal citizens of Athlone have overthrown their oppressors and have pledged allegiance to us. So this city was not part of our uh, dominated uh, territory, but then it, want, it wanted to be part of it on its own effort. And that's what hegemony is. It's uh, effort done by the oppressed in favor of the oppressors. <laughs> Because they, they believe that this superstructure that oppressors have is superior to their own. So somehow they accept 
domination in the long term, but also the oppressors, they are merciful in the short term. They, they somehow give up some uh, short-term benefits for this um, long-term perspective. And hegemony, though, in this way, reinforces oppression from both sides. It's... Are you still hearing me? All right, because my screen became a little bit strange. All right, <laughs> I'll continue. Good. In this slide, you can see how different kinds of oppression reinforce each other. This is usually not discussed in the hegemony studies in traditional Marxist Gramscian, but more in these more recent um, black feminist uh, intersectional studies. So they would show that how colonialism reinforces supremacism, white supremacism and capitalism, and they reinforce each other. And there are some, uh, um, uh, some derivations from this condition that makes it very hard uh, to trace where this starts. This, I can also frame this as a part of hegemony because it's intermingling infrastructure with superstructure in such a way that we believe everything is natural. We can't go out of, for example, of the eco side of destroying Mother Earth and so on because we have this uh, human supremacy and it's very hard to change this uh, cultural thing. So we see superstructure, infrastructure pretty much bounded, but this is a social construction that we can get out, as Rupa Maria has showed us. She made this map for us to understand that we cannot fight one oppression at once, alone. We need to fight all of them together. So my question is, to what extent design research contributes to oppressive hegemonies, and how can we do the other way around? Well. If we go to Google Scholar and search for design research uh, using those simple keyword combinations, designing for and designing against, if you get the suggestions that are automated based on the frequent uh, research uh, search terms that users are inputting into the system, you can already see that designing for is about situation awareness, children, or behavior change, people, designing for the digital age. It's all about uh, supporting current hegemonies, right? And on the right side, you see that designing against, which should be against hegemonies, but it's not. It's still um, designing against crime, designing against vandalism, designing against uh, bicycle death, or mostly of, most of the designing against is about keeping up with is what is bothering the hegemony. What is it's against the counter hegemonic uh, uh, actions that we see in society. But the most striking evidence of the lack of interest in designing against is the total absolute number of results. It's only five thousand these results on designing against and designing for the five hundred plus thousand research. Um, items. So the question is, is design inherently hegemonic? Can we even think about designing? Why bothering design against hegemonies? Well, in my PhD thesis, I have studied um, how design spaces, they get curtailed 
by taboos, by constraints that are socially constructed, that has an historical origins on contradictions such as oppression. But right now I just want to emphasize that if we stick to uh, designing for, we stay within the bounds of hegem hegemonic design space. And there are a lot of different possibilities of being human and doing things differently that are considered just impossible because we cannot think about them, we cannot try them out because they are counter, they are even beyond hegemony. Counter-hegemonic design space is really working in these limits between what is considered to be possible and acceptable and what is considered to be impossible and unacceptable. So pushing up this tension is what counter-hegemonic design research does. And I'm going to now present some experiments on designing for liberation. Um, I've been involved with co-founding this Faber Ludens Interaction Design Institute in, in Brazil from the 2007 to 2011. We have written this paper on Design Livre, which became the philosophy of the Faber Ludens Institute. We try to um, somehow eat uh, metaphorically foreign technologies and relate to our uh, local culture and we um, created a platform in 2011 to open source or to extend expand this uh, approach of designing and relating to popular culture through other fields that were not designed were not interaction design and we've co-founded this Codice platform, which became, um, and it's still today, uh, 10 years later, a platform for more than 700 uh, collaborative projects, mostly related to the digital culture movement in Brazil, people who wanted to uh, preserve, to wanted to update uh, traditional popular culture, they came to this platform and use it to connect with different projects and, and have their livelihoods um, as secured, even though the government was cutting funds for culture and especially for culture preservation of popular culture uh, matrix. We have producing a lot of products like books, collaborative books in this uh, platform, uh, but the major shortcoming of this experience of designing for liberation, for the liberation of uh, people that we didn't want, knew liberation from what? <laughs> we, we spoke about freedom, we spoke about free software and free design, but we didn't know exactly which kind of uh, concept of freedom, of liberation we had at that time. Later on, after reflecting back on those experiments and getting to read more about um, oppression studies, we came to the conclusion that we were fighting oppression. We wanted to uh, help people to liberate from the oppression that they felt in their everyday lives, in their relations with other social groups. In 2020, uh, 20, uh, together with other people, we also co-founded another institution it's called Design, Design and Oppression, or Design and Oppression English. Uh, we have been very active on organizing study groups, um, online um, educational resource materials and um, publishing academic papers uh, about um, design and oppression and those historical relations that are usually overlooked in design research and design theory. And this design and oppression network also organizes a series of um, theater of the oppressed online sessions. 
In this case, we presented that uh, attending to Futures Conference in Germany, uh, a theater play on wicked problems, wicked designs. So we somehow uh, used the theater language to scrutinize and criticize major dominant uh, design thinking discourse that everything that we cannot solve in our society should be framed as a wicked problem that we can tame and then find a solution that is not final but is provisional and that that's okay so in this way we can get out of so much ethical trouble that we don't need to go if we follow design thinking approach that that's in a nutshell what we have uh, raised and also of course how this approach reproduces oppression in design thinking discourse for example sexism colonialism um, and also um, racism well, you can watch this later on, uh, Theater Plays recorded and, and available on my website. And I, I really think that it's an interesting way of bringing art um, approach, artistic approach to discuss designing approach. This has been also uh, another um, way of discussing design in my own university. So we founded the Laboratory of Design Against Oppression, LADO, this year. And we are having a self-organizing or perhaps better including self-managed uh, laboratory with experience that the students themselves organize. They join forces with other students that want to do these experiments and they just do it. <laughs> uh, we use a Discord um, server to organize ourselves and um, to create the, the working groups. And for example, experiments range from um, redesigning um, 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 a village uh, 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 townhouse or a village um, uh, li li um, uh, houses and also designing uh, a new um, let's say um, uh, ed uh, a publishing press uh, for the oppressed so that the oppre oppressed people could have their voices heard in their books that they write and their poetry would be distributed to society um, and so we could have more authors that wouldn't be accepted as authors in the book market. And one of the experiments that were very important in this laboratory of design against oppression has been held in 2019 and it was called the wearable manifesto experiment by students. They just uh, wrote on uh, pieces of cloth, what they wanted to change in the in society through design, how they could um, think about their uh, utopic ideals, but in a way that each one of them would have different ideas, different utopias for their society. They uh, sewed together those cloths and uh, those pieces of cloth and they wore it, even though there are some uh, of the ideals would contradict each other but they said we want to wear it because uh, it reflects the, uh, the acceptance of a democratic society with which which is not based on consensus as Castoradis explained us it's really uh, based on dissensus <laughs> dissensus at the basis of a uh, democratic society later on we reflected on the aesthetic that emerged from these experiments and we identified it with this monstrous uh, expression of otherness that have been also a common theme in decolonial studies and trying to 
show that we are different and we don't want to become equal to the oppressors, we don't want to be equal to the colonizers, we want to stay strangely uh, against uh, the modernity project, for example. So we also had this digital version of the manifesto where we had um, broken all the graphic design uh, rules that we knew so far. So to summarize and um, these uh, different experiments, we have been uh, noticing that we need to decolonize and hybridize design knowledge coming from different origins in the world. And this is the, our current roadmap for designing for liberation research program. So we can see in the top, you have the matrix that comes from the north, the historical legacy of design research, epistemologies of the north, methodologies of the north. And on the bottom, you see the, uh, what we are creating on top of this and inspired of it, based on our own cultural uh, specifics on, for example, indigenous, uh, black, feminist uh, cultures that have been developing against these hegemonies, design epistemology of the South and design methodologies of the South, they usually, uh, they have so many differences, but the interesting difference for us is that they practice and uh, fight oppression. They practice, try to fight oppression, seek liberation. And we see uh, design um, theory and practice in very important to mediate uh, interaction, aesthetic interactions between historically privileged social groups and historic underprivileged social groups. That those interactions are at the core. They are the concrete um, side of this research. So we will go to study philosophy of, of Heidegger, for example, <laughs> his notions of uh, ontological design. But we also want to study this because of uh, the way the oppressed are taking, appropriating uh, foreign technologies to fight the oppressors in their own uh, localities. So this is uh, the, the cornerstone of the project and sometimes it will motivate us to reject or to adapt or change these uh, ontological design uh, methods or uh, epistemologies from the north in favor of uh, epistemologies and methodologies that are more related to our own traditions. Well, that's it for now as a summary and a start for our conversation. Thank you so far and feel free to ask any question.